You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed, the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, If you like debate, but love light, not heat, welcome home. I'm drinking my Monster. Nice. You know why I'm drinking Monster, Jesus? Because you got all those free drinks, no? I did, because I got the free drinks and because our show today is about mind-altering substances, too. So I thought I would have one. As we do the uh, do the show, that's uh, funny. You ever? I mean, I'm only drinking Monster because it was free. Because my go-to is Bang. Shout out to them again, because mm-hmm. it's all zeros and it's like you know supposed to be somewhat good for you. But these things, I'm pretty convinced, are not. They're all terrible for you. I'm pretty sure that they're, they're all pretty all bad. You don't drink any of this stuff. For you. Say it again. Do you drink caffeine? Do you drink a lot of caffeine? I drink I tons of caffeine. Coffee. Do you really? Oh yeah, dude. I don't yeah, ever see you drink coffee. No, I know you drink some coffee. I didn't know you drank no, like I a drink ton a of, coffee. of coffee. I have, really? on average, a day, I would say, I'm in the five-cup range, I would say. Yeah, it's bad. But you're not that's, as bad as our good friend Stephen Chuck, who drinks that's pretty good. coffee. That's pretty legit. When you're in that kind of range, that's pretty legit, I think. That's very legit. I'm just saying it's it's nothing like our friend Stephen, who right. ha, dr- you know drinks coffee like it's yeah. uh, like he's that's a triathlete same. and it's Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> just black coffee, so it's not bad for you. I'm like, yeah, I think you have like nine thousand milligrams of caffeine in you right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but interesting topic, right? Mm-hmm. The cannabis in this case is what we're talking about, and the whole situation around Brittany Griner, WNBA. Uh, is she an all star? I don't watch the WNBA, so I don't know. Is she like Michael Jordan, or who is she? Uh, relative Brittany to the sport, Griner, yeah. I mean, she's not. Um... Listen, I, I hate when people say the Michael Jordan of anything. Michael Jordan was the Michael Jordan of of Michael Jordans. Like there is no other, there is no other version of that, as far as mm. I'm concerned. Um, now, having said that, she is a, a very uh, popular player who's done very, very well. Uh, just looking up her Wiki, Wikipedia really quick. Thirty one years old. She was num- uh, number nation's number one high school women's basketball player. Um, she went to the Phoenix Mercury All-American basketball team. Mm-hmm. She received, in 2012, she was the best female athlete according to SB Awards. And, um, you know, big sponsorship with, with Nike. She's actually six foot nine. I mean, that's a, just a tall woman. Wow. The, the thing that I always I had remember no her idea. is I remember her dunking. And I don't know at the time, I guess, uh, what was her name? Lisa Leslie? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. She, no. Lisa Leslie was like pre-WNBA. Like she was like one of the original founders. Uh, and I, I want to say I've seen, I saw Lisa Leslie once dunk as well. But it's kind of a rare thing, you know, for, for a but while. If Although, but if you're 6'9 and you put your hands up, isn't that enough already just there to dunk? I mean, you're I mean, you're pretty much there, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she's a she's a great player. Um, okay. Has she won any? Uh, I'm sure going to get player of the, uh, or MVPs. I'm, I'm not sure actually if she's done any of that. Oh, here you go. She is, she's won the uh, WNBA championship. Eight times WNBA All-Star, uh, two times WNBA Scoring Champion, eight times WNBA Blocks Leader, uh, WNBA's Peak Performer, all three times All-First Team. Three so times, she's good. Uh, she's team. good. I mean, she's, she's an All-Star then. She is yeah. legit. Two times she's Defensive an Player of the Year Award. She is a stud. Um, All right. So for the folks who don't know her, like me, I mean, maybe they haven't yeah. even heard of the, the, the situation. This is a WNBA... All-star, WBA let's player, say. Yeah. Detained in Russia right now. She's in Russia. She's actually in trial. And she mm-hmm. was detained on drug charges. Cannabis is illegal in Russia. And um, 
you know, there's a number of so, – so, so the issue is she's detained. She's supposed to be in the U.S. The U.S. is trying to arrange her release, and we can get into that and all the steps mm-hmm. that are involved in that. But there's a bunch of stuff wrapped up in the story, right? There is right. obviously the Russia-U.S. kind of stuff, the different cultural norms among uh, uh, around cannabis usage. So there's like an mm-hmm. incarceration piece. There's also like a foreign diplom- diplomacy thing of like how we're trying to get her back. And then there's also the idea of cannabis itself and what it should be inside of a sports kind of environment good bad indifferent does it does it hurt you in performance does it increase your performance and in any case should it be criminalized like so there's a lot in here it's kind of like a microcosm of like 12 different issues there there is um i would say maybe a good starting point to unpack this subject is um before we even get into the arrest is why was she there to begin with right why was she there in russia i mean and what's really interesting about that is that it actually is more common than maybe what most people may, may realize, but in many cases, uh, professional women's athletes um, are having to play in secondary leagues in other countries in order for them to make like more income because the professional leagues here just don't pay enough. Don't pay I enough. saw an interesting stat, and this is a social stat, okay, so who knows if it's real, but mm-hmm. I probably think it's probably very likely that it's real that LeBron James is making more money than the entire WNBA league. The entire, if you add up all the salaries of everyone that plays the WNBA. I believe that. LeBron James makes more money than the entire WNBA. When you wrap up the endorsements and everything else and all the ways he gets paid or just salary to salary? I thought it was salary, to be honest, Charlie. No, this is one of those socials. I need to double check it. But if it's not exactly accurate, the multiples of how much money NBA players make versus WNBA players is just night and day. Yeah, it's crazy. Such a big, big difference. So you have these athletes that are top athletes that are do extremely, extremely well, mm-hmm. that are top of their game, that are having to literally look for other options of where to go play, and in some cases get paid a little bit better than they would in the U.S. in right. those off seasons, right? Does it, can, can, just to tease that apart a, a little bit, though, mm-hmm. do you think it's that, because it, it has a, a bit of a sound of, I have to go to Russia just to make ends meet. It isn't yeah. that. It's to maximize... Their earning potential, right? In other words, you could you've got a pe- you've got a period of time when you're at your peak performance, you're a peak age, you know that you're not going to be playing basketball forever, and during that period of time, you try to get as much done as you can, and then you end up investing in real estate or buying a restaurant chain or whatever else you do as a retired athlete. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's that right? It's like maximize my my earning potential as opposed to like they don't have a living wage and they have to like go make ends meet. Right. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I guess, yes, that's that is true. Right. But I think this is the kind of case where you can very quickly look at what is a living wage. Uh, what is a f- forget a living wage for a second. What is a fair compensation versus level of talent? Right. That we're talking about. And when you think about professional sports, it's just they're just at a different level. They're a different universe than, you know, the average you know person. Uh, so it isn't to your point necessarily like. To put like you know to maybe to make rent, I guess depending, right. depending on where you live. But right. it's really more to do with, to your point, it is about maximizing the potential that you have as an athlete. Because the thing that is very much true in almost every single sport is that the window for them to maximize how much revenue they may be able to uh, create for themselves while playing and afterwards, like it really is driven by their peak playing years. Right? Yep. Um, and that drives not only money that they get from sponsorship salaries while playing, but it could also have, play a major impact on their lives after the fact. And when you're talking about leagues, in many cases, people are, are literally like bouncing out, and, and after two to three years, three, I forget mm-hmm. what it is for the NFL. The NFL is pretty short. It's like NFL is really short. I think the like average, three or four the, years, the, maybe at most. Something the like average that, right? it like, depends on the it depends on the position, but the average yeah. running back. I remember seeing this stat and, and was really blown away by how short it was. It's less than three years. For running back, yeah, it's terrible. I mean, uh, on running backs, well, and not to go off, off topic, but you want a running running back to start uh, playing shitty, like pay them, pay them a lot of money. Pay like the second those guys get like their big deal, is like immediately it goes downhill. Yeah, because they just have such a short window. Uh, yeah, it forces kind of bad decisions. Right, but uh, that's why you look at players that had long windows, like an Emmett Smith. It's it's such a rarity. Yeah, uh, for them. And to that's why those guys are Hall of Famers, maybe. So, but, but so, yeah, the star- so, yeah, so, so mm-hmm. to me, that is a starting part of the conversation, yeah. right? Like the, you got you got players that are having to go into these places to go play. 
in order for them to maximize their their revenue potential because in a lot of these cases they're just not able to make enough uh, in domestic leagues. And when you think about domestic women's leagues, you know, for whatever credit or crap the WNBA may or may not get, it's still one of the top leagues I would I would I would think for women's sports. Maybe outside of tennis. I would put tennis way higher. Uh, but outside of tennis, I mean, I don't know what other types of league will be more better organized with sponsorship, broadcast rights than the WNBA. Soccer is kind of making a little bit of a comeback, but it's frankly sure. has its starts and stops. Right? You've had leagues that have come on that have like went bankrupt, come back on. You have a new team here in LA uh, with um, Angel, uh, Angel City, City uh, mm-hmm. Angel City FC, maybe right? Um, yeah, Angel City. So that's kind of having a little bit of a resurgence, resurgence, but it is. I think WNBA has been fairly established, and still in those most established, you know, league professional leagues, because they just don't make enough money. Okay, so what role then does I'll put on my uh, trickle down economics hat? Mm-hmm. What role does just the market sort of dynamics of this have? Because let's let's keep using football as an example. Mm-hmm. Football is such a big money maker that you've got the NFL, which is a behemoth. You've got the XFL, which is now going to relaunch for a third time because it got killed in COVID. It'll relaunch in spring of next year. You have the USFL, which launched spring of this year. I don't know how well that did or didn't do. And that's a Fox kind of enterprise. So the thinking there is that there's so much demand for this that we can you know, add additional leagues and suck up some of this talent. But the top talent is like so set forever because they're, they're in the catbird seat. But there's a, there's a market dynamic involved, whereas – the pessimist would say, and it was a similar argument with the case of the women's soccer thing that ultimately was settled, but the, 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 the other side of the argument says, well, there shouldn't be – she shouldn't have to go to Russia. But the reason she has to go to Russia is because the WNBA doesn't sell as well here, and you've mm-hmm. got to go. If you Sometimes the job you have doesn't provide for the end, your, your ends to meet, then you go get a second and a third job and other things. So what role – what's the proper way to think about the role that the market plays in this – because it could just be that it's not as popular, and therefore that plays a role in how much money they, they make. It's definitely a role, dude. I mean, I just think when I hear people make the case that it should be the same, like you, it's, it's just that's just not a good argument, right? The level of popularity, the level of revenue that gets generated in the NBA versus WNBA, uh, it's night and day, right? It's not even talking about NFL, which is like the most successful league, right, uh, across the world. Uh, in terms of revenue that it gets generated through through that league, so there is a real market dynamic that of, you really can't you know ignore to to your point, and that plays a role in this. Uh, and I was trying to look up real quick what those stats were, but I da- have seen some cases in terms of level of interest versus amount of viewership available, like how much the games are actually broadcast. Yeah, where there does seem to be more interest. I forgot what what the what the exact numbers were on the WNBA than the, the amount of actually airtime that it actually gets, but Getting coverage of a league does matter. Like it does matter in terms of of driving interest, et cetera, for the league. So I think that does play a role. But in general, I would say it is not comparable to the level of interest, sponsorship dollars, uh, attendance, uh, all of those combined. What it looks like for for men's sports, and specifically the NBA versus WNBA. So there's an element there to your point. That, yeah, that will be the case where you will see players having to go elsewhere to be able to maximize their revenue um, in order for them to be able to, uh, so, you know, maximize their potential. While, while so playing. your your point then seems to be you kind of concede, which I agree with you, by the way, mm-hmm. that you concede that these are kind of apple oranges dynamics in terms yeah. of demand and market. But having said that, you believe that there is a percentage that's incremental, that's a go-get that could be done here yeah, I were think so. it for some additional things. And, and okay. my argument, Charlie, would be yeah. is let's look at basketball at the college level the okay. women's ncaa tournament does actually pretty well like think about the runs that connecticut has had for like i don't know i would say years maybe decades i don't know how for how long they were so dominant um and you see this level of interest viewership how much attention it actually gets in terms of coverage primetime coverage for the women's uh ncaa tournament right yeah, um, and but I have a, I have an answer for that. that. I have an answer for why that is. Translate to um, to professional. Yeah, I'm curious. What what is what is your your answer? I think for that? I think the answer is um, the alma mater. I think that there's energy around schools, mm. and I think that that energy translates. I think in this case, I, I'd love to see a man on the street 
interview of people on the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica or the middle of Times Square, name five WNBA teams. Maybe that, somebody already did that. I don't yeah. think 99% of people yeah. could. It'll but you tough. can say Duke, I like USC, I like North Carolina, yeah, I'm true. a Chapel Hill. You know, so It gives you something to kind of attach yourself to pretty quickly, right? I think so. I think so. And, and, and then because my, my second question would be to the point that you said about there's, a, there's, at, there's an incremental piece to go get, and that's what we should focus on. Okay, let's concede that for a second, and that's true. Mm-hmm. My thing would be, wait a minute, like people like to make money, and people like to grow things. So if that's really true, why wouldn't they be doing that? Like, what is the really nefarious plan behind them just not solving this if there is this demand to go get? Uh, I, I think some of that is is uh, uh, corporate momentum and who's making those decisions. There's definitely reality to that. Like, look, look the, the simplest answer, Charlie, is like, look how much money TV, broadcast, television still gets right now. It has nothing to do with efficiency. It has nothing to do with that's the best medium to use. There is corporate inertia that happens in the industry where people are just like, I like TV. I like seeing my name on a billboard. Like, that's part of what I do. Like, so there is decision making that happens at that level that continue mm. to move things forward, even if that's not the, even if it's again, literally is against their own interest. So I think there's some of that playing here. Yeah. I'm not blaming every, every, like, that's the whole reason because to the point that we made, there is, I think, a, a genuine problem with the level of interest that people actually have in WNBA. In some sports, I I definitely think that's true and that's real. Um, <laughs> funny enough, I just I'm just thinking about this. I don't know if you, if you was it in the latest. Uh, you mentioned about uh, seeing uh, Bill Burr recently, right? Yeah. Did I Bill Burr or the comedian? Yeah, the comedian. Well, right? we've definitely talked about him. I don't know if I said it on the last show. No, no, you didn't talk. You know, you didn't oh. you didn't mention it in the, sh- in the last show. But uh, in his last special, I think it was his last special. Have you seen it? No. Uh, it's a uh, it's um, uh, pretty funny, and and one of the things that he is he rants about is about the WNBA, and he's like basically blaming women for WNBA failing. He was like, when, if like for all the people, the women that are out there talking about that we ain't getting more more attendance, like why are you blaming us for? Like where are you at the games? Why aren't you showing up? <laughs> right. right? Who are your favorite teams? And he's like, stop blaming me for this shit. Like why should I have to go watch this? And and there and it was pretty hilarious. And I'm, interesting I'm, point. I'm butchering yeah. his his joke, but yeah. there is absolute truth in what he's saying. Like there is truth, and there was a bigger interest in the sport. I think people like to uh, do the virtual signaling about how supportive they are against some of these sports, but nobody having the, the interest of actually showing up and actually watching it. Mm. So yeah. there, there is, I think, truth to that. But I do think there is some opportunity as well to to do more with the leagues. But look, that's the starting point as to what got her there, right? And and why, in some of these cases, athletes are having to go or feel like they have to go into more nefarious uh, settings in order for them to try to maximize their revenue. Yeah, that's right? interesting. That professional players on the men's side don't just don't have to. They don't have to uh, do. The Although they don't have to. They, well, the ones that do are because qualitatively they're at a different level, right? So they go play in Poland or they well, play they do in because they Spain. Can't or what, into the, they can't into make it. Right. Or right. they want to skip college, and instead of going to college, they want to get more playing experience in Europe. You've seen a lot Correct. of that as well, right? Correct. And well, they go straight there out of high, high school. school. The, the ball kids. Um, yep. Yeah, Lamelo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty successfully, frankly, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of like now they're doing well in the NBA, so you have that, right? So that's the starting point of why she's there. Which that by itself kind of saddens me a little bit, frankly, of, of to, to be, that, that to begin with. And then you pair that with you know her getting arrested for having, uh, I guess, it's cartridges, right? Of of um, of uh, um, hashish. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, at the airport, and then now being used as a political pawn, right? Which has been going on for a little while. So yeah, this Which is a whole other thing. That whole negotiation yeah, is so interesting. There's a whole other discussion with that, right? Where you now you have this athlete um, who is, you know, being used to put political pressure on the administration here uh, to basically make a trade, right? And to and and this is an interesting thing because of who she is. She's an athlete. She's a woman. She's gay. There's so many elements about this. And the thing that you heard pretty early on, well, if this was LeBron James, we would have done anything possible to bring to bring him home. We would have done anything, whatever it takes. Yeah, and LeBron got himself into some hot water. That. LeBron got himself into some hot water by saying that you know that she probably doesn't want to come back to America because of uh, the way she hasn't been rescued, I guess yet. And he got himself like oh, really? into some trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, part of the the media bubbles we're both in. But um, yeah, but there well, was a bunch of heat about that. I mean, I guess I could see that. Right, it's like why didn't they move? Uh, you know, everything possible to, to bring me home immediately. Well, who was it? Wasn't it Trump who had? It was it Aesop Rocky? Who was it that Trump like immediately like sent the like 
send the the the, the Navy SEALs to go get right Trump, away. It was ASAP Rocky that was that was right? detained. I don't I don't know what happened to him, but um, he actually he did. This is one. Of, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm, I'm saying I don't know what if he was returned right away or what what he had to yeah, go through to was. get back. It was, pretty, it was pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the interesting thing about Trump is that there are literally like one or two things that he did in those four years that he gets credit from positively from both sides, mm-hmm. and hostage returns is one of those. Like he brought a lot of people back from places, and he would talk about this. I don't know if you remember, like when when he was running for office and they had all their their debates and stuff, Mm -hmm. even with Biden, he would talk about the fact that the way that we used to do deals would be to give like super hardened, crazy criminals back for like nobodies. Right. And so he's like, I'm going to change that because that's a bad deal. So he actually gets a lot of credit on both sides for that, which is an interesting point here, Jesus, because I want to just pause for a second on the Mm -hmm. on the political dynamic. And ask your thoughts on this. So one of the people that we're negotiating to use as this pawn to get her back is a convicted arms dealer who has sold weapons to Al Qaeda. Mm -hmm. And we're we're giving him back to Russia or, or proposing whatever to give him back to Russia in exchange for her. Right. Like, just isolate that for a second, okay? And, and like, what are your thoughts? Because if I'm looking at that as an outsider looking in, I'm like, damn, they have a lot of leverage. Because well, they do have a lot of leverage. I think that's the thing. I think this is a masterful move by Putin to put tons of leverage on the Biden administration uh, in order to basically get some leverage back from a war that he is not happy about how it's going or where they're losing a lot of economic power on an everyday basis, meaning Russia, because of all the sanctions, and a way to put, to put pressure back on the U.S., because they can't do it militarily, they can't do it economically. So I think this was, frankly, like a gift. You know, you can imagine Poon the second he got that call, say, "Oh, hey, by the way, we just arrested this like super tall girl. We think she plays basketball, <laughs> right?" Like you could, you could imagine the oh, call yeah. that he got, right? Yeah. Like, what holder? Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean? She, oh, she's black. Great. She's got a big holder. platform. Oh, oh and yeah. She's, and she's gay. Oh, holder. Oh, like really holder. holder. Yeah, totally. Because that that country is so fighting with itself, so ready to implode. That we're gonna push every button possible. Yep. To to uh, to put as much pressure on the administration, and we're gonna get a good one from this. Absolutely. Right. So I, I, I do think this is a direct result of a lot of pressure that Biden has and the administration has basically fallen to. Do I think it's a smart deal or a good deal to give away an arms dealer for a basketball player? No. Do I think there's another alternative in this case? I don't think so. Like, what do you do? Leave her there? Yeah, no. Agreed. I mean, it's just like you're in this kind of little bit of this no-win situation, to be honest. So I don't blame the Biden administration for for one, for looking to make that trade because at the end of the day, it's like, what do you do instead? I mean, the not just it's the optics, it's the having this this athlete that was a, for all the reasons we just talked about, like the number of categories he checks off is just terrible. And it's very easy for anyone to sit there, you know, from the sideline and say, well, if this was Tom Brady, you would have like, you would have definitely thrown that in some. You people, you didn't ask right, and or then somebody the, else. And there's truth to that, right? I mean, that's the, the part that mm-hmm. is that is interesting. But this idea of like, what do we do? Leave her there, right? The one thing that we have yeah. to acknowledge is also the fact that whether we agree with it or not, she has violated and agreed she violated, even though she claims that the thing was her bag was packed by somebody else or whatever. But nevertheless. This particular drug is illegal in that country. She was in that country. Mm-hmm. She broke their law, and now they're going through a process, right? So by the book, like the idea of us negotiating for whatever, she's not being like held against – you know, she's not being denied or, or grabbed because she was protesting or, or, or whatever or as part of some broader conspiracy to like just grab Americans abroad and these kind of things have happened in the past. Yep. Like there is the reality of her, you know, her going to another country and, you know, look, in Singapore, you're not allowed to spit on the sidewalk. And there's been mm-hmm. people who've gotten caned for that, like American tourists for mm-hmm. chewing gum and spitting on the sidewalk. So there is a question of like, of course, should it be illegal, et cetera, et cetera. But in this negotiation, which is what makes the whole arms dealer thing even more pronounced, is you've got a guy who broke like you know these crazy laws, and then you have Brittany Griner who broke what we would view as a very minor law, but nevertheless is like still acknowledged. Yeah, that's uh, so. Yeah, so you see what I'm saying? I guess, I guess from the story, I I don't know how much people think it's controversial that she actually broke the law. I, I I'm in the camp to think that she actually did, where she where she did have it with her. I don't think it was planted. Um. 
and it is obviously it's, it sucks for her because now she was like the second they have that on you is like they could be as harsh as they want to be with her i mean the, the the reality of her breaking the law and then us doing everything kind of bring her back the challenge was simply using the use case that she broke the law is that it's one thing that we felt that the justice the criminal justice system in russia was fair was going to treat her in a fair manner for whatever is the crime that she committed but i don't think anyone's sitting here thinking that that's actually the case yeah and there is definitely a point that they're using it as political leverage knowing that there's going to be a big outcry to try to bring her back for something that is fairly minor. And, and frankly, this is why we, I think I wanted us to talk about this, is that it is there is something that is very, uh, that feels very, um, um, uh, that feels off in us doing so much to bring someone back that has broken the law around around weed consumption, basically, when in this country... We still have people that have been incarcerated and continue to be incarcerated, depending on what state you're in, for weed convictions, right? So we yeah. as a country are, are are sort of treating someone differently that we don't even do in our own, in our own country, like to, to bring them back because of the social status that they have. That's basically what it is, right? And I don't I don't think they should leave it there. I don't I don't agree that they should like not do anything. I do think we're like a little bit over the barrel, and that's kind of unfortunately is what it is. But it does make me wonder. When I when I look at this, how does all the other families that have family members that are currently in jail in the U.S. for things associated with weed, how do they feel about this? Yeah, and, that, and that's a good point because, I mean, she is being treated in a way in the media certainly as a bit of a hostage, right? Like she's a hostage. She's really not a hostage. And if you view her as a hostage, then you got to look at to your the point you just made. All the people who are incarcerated for minor, you know, especially weed offenses, and mostly that's for intent to sell, not consumption, the, the cases that are, you end up in jail for. But nevertheless, yeah. you'd kind of have to view those people as hostages, more, maybe even more so, because they're here and we're controlling their destiny. So there is a little bit of kind of double speak there or whatever. There's major you know. double speak as, things, as far as I'm concerned. I think that's part of the problem that I, that I see with, the, with, the, with this issue, with this with the story is that there is a definitely double treatment um, as it relates to how we think about her and with that kind of crime in Russia and then the urgency to get her out of that system and then how we think of our, our people here that are, are in our system because of similar crimes. Right? Okay, so so, the, so then that kind of brings us to the next big layer in the onion, and I don't know that we've satisfied the first two, but just the other element of this is the actual use of, in this particular case, cannabis, because that's what's at play. Mm-hmm. And how we feel about that, the way that we've de- decriminalized it, and it has happened in a number of states, some have not yet done it, and federally it's also been done, if I'm correct. Um, so, you know, this idea of how cannabis is viewed what its legitimate cases are and, you know, especially within a sports context. And more important to me, like the macro issue of that is that the rise of cannabis usage and all the sort of, uh, you know, uh, decriminalization of, of cannabis usage is also wrapped up in this global chronic pain treatment market, which mm-hmm. I looked this stat up. This stat, the, they're forecasting this market to grow at a CAGR, a compound annual growth rate, of about 7% from now until in the next decade. So from 2020 to 2030, this whole chronic pain treatment, which a lot of cannabis falls into, even the mm-hmm. case that, that Griner's making is like, I do this because I'm in pain right. all the time, yeah, yeah. right? That industry is going gonna, is gonna to be $152 billion this decade. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a massive industry. And I think the more interesting question for me is, what is giving rise to all of this pain, real or perceived, and and this is a potential solution to it? So you got a lot wrapped into this cannabis thing. But, you know, what, I, I guess I don't know your thoughts on cannabis, yeah. decrim- well, decriminalization, well, I, I et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there's two yeah. things there. There is the rise of pain uh, and the need for solutions for it. But that's not a new thing. I mean, we have a major... Uh, pharmaceutical problem in this country, right? With the amount of pain medicine that we have and how much we rely, frankly, in all these different pain pills, the addictions. Sure. There's, there's, been, there's been lawsuits around this with fentanyl and all those other other And Oxycontin. Oxycontin. Sure. So there's been a wave of rise in addictions around pain medicine. And pain as an industry is a very popular lucrative. and very lucrative industry. That primarily pharmaceutical companies that get the, get the ones are the ones that get to benefit from this, 
uh, and people are really impacted by it, right? So that to me is not necessarily a new thing. It's actually one that has been a rising problem in this country. The, the question is to what degree does uh, products that are derived through, by THC or just other variations of, of weed usage help with that kind of pain management and whether that, that should be part of the mix. I mean, where, where, I, where I stand as it relates to the legalization of, of marijuana across the country is that I think by not having the legal, you just continue to feed into a system that at the end of the day creates more crime, impacts more black and brown people. And I still haven't really seen anything that, that actually shows this as being a drug that creates the kind of downside uh, impact on people that is worse than alcohol. I think in, in most cases, it actually seems to be less than alcohol, right, to the level of addiction and what it actually does does to you. Uh, and to that point, I, I feel like this is the kind of thing that I, I don't I don't see a good use case as to why it wouldn't make sense to just do have a more consistent policy across the nation of actually doing regulation and then make something that is, that is regulated, you tax against it, and you're able to actually like have people be more informed and create safer choices for how they use it. Right? I'm and if glad anything, you... it gets people away from pharmaceuticals, from taking pain pills, from doing other things that they're actually using right now or other illegal substances. I think is a better thing in, in general. But the pharma drug, it's, I mean, if it hasn't begun to happen already, it's just because I'm not educated in the subject as much as I should be. But it, if it hasn't happened already, you can imagine all the pharma companies beginning to just buy the cannabis ones and flip the switch, just like the tobacco guys started buying all the vaping and nicotine and yeah. all these other trans. So For to sure, me, it's like. The, the issue that I'm bringing up is not just who owns it, Charlie, because there is actually a real, a real point you're bringing up on that. As legalization has happened in various states, including California, the reality people that mostly benefit are the same rich people that were benefiting before. Yep, they're the ones that have the actual capital, and because it's not a federal, uh, um, it's not federally approved to be legal, the ability to get financing becomes really complicated. So you have to have a certain level of private wealth in order for you to be able to do like get into uh, dispensaries, etc. So it is much much harder to do, right? So you're right. The people that are benefiting are the same kind of people that you would think that are just, that were benefiting before. The ones that are getting left out is frankly are the you know black and brown people that that were primarily being prosecuted to begin with. So let's put that to the side in a second, right? Because, well, first of all, by actually making it legally federally, I think you create a, a situation where it doesn't allow for it to have more traditional finance mechanisms to be able to get into some of these industries that right now makes it really, really hard for someone that is not, like, really privately wealthy, right? Okay, mm-hmm. So that's on one side. Second, let's say it does actually happen exactly what you're describing, where it's now actually the same pharmaceutical companies that are now, like, owning all of the dispensaries, all of the basically different products that are being built out, if that's the case and it is regulated, I still think there is a good argument to be made that the kind of products and byproducts that get created through, like, via marijuana are just better in general for people long-term than the kind of products that they're putting out now through pharmaceutical, and especially around pain medicine. That's the one main one that I guess I'm focusing on. I, feel I like think there's, there's a, a very good case pro- that you can make so, to that so end. So even from that standpoint, I think that's a better thing to have. As a I, I think there's a great case to make, and a, 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 you know, for that, if you're just weighing the yeah. side effects, addictive qualities, uh, you know, negative, uh, you know, other effects, economic, societal, yeah. etc., between pharmaceuticals and cannabis, you can make a very good case on an absolute basis that one is probably better than the other, assuming they're they're equal in terms of their efficacy. The other thing yeah. about your argument, when you first started, you said that you don't necessarily see great evidence that the regulation or criminalization has actually had kind of positive effects and et cetera, et cetera. If you just stopped there and you didn't bring up the fact that, you know, you compared it to alcohol as an example. If you, mm-hmm. But if you stopped at the first part, it, it, it could sound like you're making a case for de- decriminalization of everything because you could kind of make the case, well, the more we criminalize it, the more we drive yeah. the underground market, the more we, we empower uh, cartels, the more we empower the mafia. You can make that case for every illegal substance, can, right? And, but Yeah, can I respond to that part? Yeah. Charlie? Which is I'm definitely much more the camp of legalizing a lot of this. Now, there may be certain things that, to your point, are just so – danger is so like it's so easy for people to overdose on it that like fentanyl yeah so fentanyl maybe is probably a good example but frankly that's part of the problem right because it isn't regulated that's where you can have tainted things and that's what really causes a lot of people to actually die from it right so my sort of stance is much more in the camp of of legalization allows you to regulate allows you to tax 
and then remove some of the criminal elements that are very much part of these things that primarily impact black and brown communities, right? That's where I, where I sound like. I would look at, at marijuana. I would look at all sort of forms of psychedelics, starting with mushrooms. Like, look, these are the people, these are the things that our people did for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so it's, it's actually something that is part of the culture, right? Uh, funny enough, um, or at least historically was part of the culture. Let's put it that way, right? Mm-hmm. So I would be more more in that camp. Uh, now, you, maybe you can't cut across everything to your point because there are certain things that are just so dangerous that you just can't. Uh, and I'm sure, in you know, as you regulate those, there's other things that criminals want to be criminals or find other things to, to kind of get into. But I just think there's other kind of things that, in many ways, we create an environment that pharmaceuticals are the ones that are benefiting from all of this and with products that are highly addictive, of which our communities are really, like, being impacted by. Yeah. And just, and on, not the, just on the marijuana the angle specifically, there is – it just feels like there's a good use case to be made that if that's a better – more organic way for people to treat themselves and to like feel better in whatever the way they, they need to that I just have a hard time making an argument as to why that wouldn't be the case. Or yeah, it's ba- it's basically, I mean, your position is kind of the libertarian position, which is, um, you know, if you want to do this, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody else. Oh, you, you've called me that multiple times. Maybe maybe um, I'm more libertarian than what I think I am. You gotta you gotta Google that one, brother. Because I, I mean I that gotta, you, you almost you give an al- you give an almost textbook libertarian position on the drug <laughs> thing. So uh, so yeah, yeah you the might, first time you told me that though, so it's kind of funny. To, yeah, but but um, where so so anyway, that that sounds like that's what what that is. I think the other thing about um, you know cannabis. So I I agree with you mm-hmm. that first of all, cannabis is a naturally occurring plant. Okay. Um, it has a lot of purposes. It's uh, the actual plant itself has, you know, the hemp and everything can be utilized in a thousand different one ways. Then the actual plant produces a chemical, which broadly we understand as, uh, you know, THC, which is the tetra hydro, whatever it's called. And then it's got, um, there's two of them. There's CBD and THC, right? Those are the two yeah. main cannabinoid, cab- mm-hmm. cannabinoids that get, you know, come off of this plant. Now, one of them has psychoactive properties, right? So in other words, yep. it, it gets you high, and that's the THC one. The CBD one does not, right? And, and, right, and so like CBD the, oils and all that stuff. CBD right? oils and rubs and all kinds of stuff. And that industry has gone bananas, you know, over mm-hmm. the last little bit. So in this, I guess when, when we hear Brittany Griner's one of them, and that's, who kicked off the, that's who kicked off this conversation. But there's a lot of athletes who say, look, I, yeah. I use this. I, I smoke weed. Because I because of the pain that I have in my knee and my shoulder and whatever, but I always find that answer a bit disingenuous because they're not saying they're using CBD, they're saying they're using they're smoking weed, right? Which has a psychoactive component to it, mm-hmm. and it kind of brings you into this broader picture of how pain actually works because pain has both physical manifestations but also mm-hmm. psychic manifestations, yeah, mm-hmm. right? And it's wrapped up in a bunch of stuff, childhood trauma and issues mm-hmm. and you don't like your dad and divorce and a thousand different things. So there is this kind of psychic component to it, and I think that's actually important and why these people use it for pain. I just don't think that we fully understand what pain is and mm-hmm. how, it, how it manifests itself, right? I actually think right. that a lot of that stuff is what's giving rise to this kind of pain industry is a lot of the same indicators we've seen in wellness, like anxiety and depression, all these different mm-hmm. things, and mobile screens and blah, blah, blah. Like all of that is wrapped up in this somehow. Oh, because sure. It's all adding to it. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that, dude. I mean, it goes back goes back to when we talked about the 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 sort of start of Facebook and then the rise of um of uh, like depression and things like that, right? Uh, or was it Instagram? I forgot what what it was, but it was like a, some mapping that we looked at one point that had like a pretty tight correlation, which is that it was really stuff. iPhone. Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, take a, yeah. take a step backwards. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's actually iPhone. It made it more mobile, basically, right? So I could totally see that. Um, but I guess even in that case, I mean, I, 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 and this goes back to maybe your point about my libertarian point of view is like, I could also understand the point that people deal with stress differently, mm-hmm. right? And I was just talking about this with my niece because I'm here in, in Monterey um, with my niece Paloma. And we were talking about it. She said she likes to go on drives when she's feeling like a stress about school. She's a high school, right? So stuff happens, you know? She has to go on, on drives now that she's like, you know, has a license and everything, right? And, like, and I told her, like, for me, the, my way is I like to go on runs, like on long runs. That's how I mm-hmm. like to compress. And if I don't, like, do something physical, like, I really feel like it starts, everything kind of starts to get me. Backs up. Yeah. It backs me up. Me too. I think we mm-hmm. all have the different ways of how we handle these things. 
Um, and for some, if the way, and frankly, I'm also from the generation that is very used to like end of the day, like little drink, mm. right? Like mm. just to kind of take the Unwind. edge off, whatever be the case, a little scotch, a little mezcal, like that's my thing. And I could totally see people that are in the other camp where like, well, I don't really, really want to drink alcohol, which is probably worse for you over time. And if, if smoking a joint or doing something that, that just relaxes them a little bit more, like, as long as they're doing it responsibly, I don't really have an issue with that. I have heard, though, specifically from athletes that there's a number of folks that actually do look at actually using some kind of weed product prior to working out, and they all claim that it actually helps them uh, be more, like, to have a better workout, which is, I find that kind of counterintuitive, but... I've I've heard that multiple multiple times from people. Yeah, it could also just be that you're high, so everything seems like it's better. <laughs> everything better. There could I be mean, some. Look, we had what was interesting. Think about like historically in the NFL, Ricky Waters, right? Probably one of the best running backs, man. Like sure. that guy was a stud. Texas, then he went to the Dolphins. Yep. Uh, and the Saints, I think he played as well, right? Yes, he did. And he got like banned for I forget how long it was for like multiple violations with. Um, uh, for the for their weed uh, policy, right? For 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 having for testing positive for for having uh, uh, ingested weed. Yeah, he ultimately decided that he didn't want to be a professional athlete because yeah, of the restrictions on weed. For sure, um, and I think he, now he actually has a business that is in that in that industry. Which he does. Is, which is good for him. Uh, but this is a guy that not only was dealing with all the pressures of an athlete, uh, whatever pains or whatever that he has, but he also had like I forgot what exactly um, like personality kind of. Uh, uh, issue that he had. I don't know if I, if I, I forgot if he was. Uh, I don't want to misdiagnose him, but he had something else that he talked about it. Like when he would do interviews, I don't know if you remember this, Charlie, but he would like leave his helmet on, had a visor, like you couldn't even see him, and like he was very much like kind of a little bit of in the shell. So as agoraphobia as, or something like that. Yeah, maybe. He, there was something that was going on with him. So he had a lot of stuff that he was dealing with, and I kind of go back to the same point. If it was just something that helped him kind of cope with those issues. If it's between that and then taking some other medicine that is being prescribed that he ended up getting addicted to, more than all likelihood, it just seems like a better better alternative, you know. So I'm I'm kind of in that camp for that reason. Yeah, no, I understand that um, for sure. The other thing on CBD too is I, I was actually looking at a Harvard paper, and you know the jury's out on a lot of the 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 effectiveness of these things. Now I I tend to look at these studies with a bit of a grain of salt because I think oftentimes. The clinical studies just confirm something somebody's known for 100 years. You talked about the indigenous people right. have been using plants and holistic medicine forever, forever. And, like, you know, I raised my entire family on holistic medicine, and it works. Can I make the claim? Can, can you make the claim of the FDA, like, this helps you with sleep? No, you can't right. because some scientist hasn't, like, done enough double-blind placebo effect things. But there's just a reality of generations of usage can claim some kind of benefit from these things, right? I mean, tea, chamomile tea. You couldn't say this, you know, reduces your anxiety. But have you ever had a chamomile tea? Like, it mellows you out, helps you sleep. It's just the reality of it. Like, I, I have no problem saying it. But there's some things that you can't see. It's the same in a lot of things. My dad, when he was diagnosed with cancer, he opted for a treatment that was all organic, like super intense, green vegetables, all this kind of stuff. It's called the Gerson therapy. It's actually very well known. And they have case after case, Jesus. I mean, arm's length of names of people that have defeated cancer by doing this treatment. But they have to have their clinics, clinics in Mexico because they can't make like any of those claims in the U.S., even though all their clients are American. So mm -hmm. it's like you have a lot of that. So I always take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. But mm -hmm. having said that, there is some you know, indications in some of the documentation that I looked at, specifically from Harvard, Clinical uh, Journal of, of Sports Medicine from Harvard, that found you know, decreases in athletic performance, found um, uh, 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 brain development issues for people under 25, mm -hmm. found the potential for liver injury, found the potential to affect the male reproductive system. So there's a number of things that seem not positive mm -hmm. that are in some of this, this data, if you will. Now, again, that could be neither here nor there because, I mean, let's look at some pharmaceutical side effects. Are you right, kidding me? Right. I mean, it's like— Is that above or below? Yeah. If I still go back to alcohol, like, you know, you think about the downsides of people that are consuming a lot of alcohol. Obviously, it's a lot that's been documented there. Of course, it's especially a, with the liver. Yeah. What is funny about that, though, Charlie? Like, if you ever meet someone, I'm sure you know someone, where they're, like, advocates of weed. Like, if you talk to someone that really, like, is a fan. Uh, right. 
they'll they'll tell you that it fixes everything. Like, oh man, like dude, you need knee pain. You know, uh, you want to be taller. <laughs> you want to get you want better gas mileage. Like, <laughs> weed is a solve for everything. And like, it always cracks me up when I hear that. Listen, you tell me gas mileage, I may start smoking because uh, eight eight dollar <laughs> gas. Give me a break. Just, Everybody yeah. should be high to pump that thing in your car. Uh, yeah, 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 that's so that's pretty funny. Um, you know, but but going back to what we we're talking about, just the criminalization of it, what is interesting? So, I, I was trying to find something earlier, but in terms of the more recent, but I did look at it, find a piece that was from Forbes back in 2020, right? They were talking about this, and it really was, it was getting into the whole issue that as uh, marijuana continues to be decriminalized, how much people are still in the system. Like mm. either currently uh, in jail or and or have been impacted by this, right? So at, at this point in 2020, there was still, according to this piece from Forbes, around 40,000 Americans who were incarcerated for marijuana offenses. And it wasn't just the 40,000 that were incarcerated. The, the, the bigger issue is when you look at all the people that have now criminal records associated with weed and all the impacts that it has on their livelihood going forward. The moment you have to disclose that you've been arrested, that you've been convicted, what kind of downstream impact it has on that. So that's what I think about when I when I think about a situation with Bernie Garner, which is where we started the discussion, which is we are obviously actively trying to bring this person home. And once again, I support that that cause. But for someone that did violate the law there around uh, usage of marijuana products, while we still have the same issue here domestically. So it I think it's just it's just a tough one uh, in my mind to kind of reconcile those those two things how those two things could be, you know, true at the same time. Yeah, and, and in terms of the advocacy that she's getting, right, celebrities, the president, all this other stuff, yeah. you, you start comparing those with the 40,000 people in jail right now, and it does get a little offensive, right, to, to kind of think about this, assuming you have this perspective. Yeah. The one difference that I would have with you on the 40,000 mm-hmm. example, because I agree with most of what you said, is that I'd want to de-average that 40,000 mm-hmm. because there's a difference between what you've been convicted of and what you have a past criminal history for or oh, what yeah, was yeah, part sure. of your arrest yeah, yeah, but you didn't yeah, get yeah. you didn't get convicted for because you plea bargained out of it so i'd want to look at the guys yeah, who got booked for yeah. cannabis but the ones who had a weapon the ones who were you know pimps yeah, the ones who were beating right. up women there's a lot of other like, stuff there yeah right? Uh, but but there are people there. of those 40,000, there is a number, oh, I don't know what it is, who were like, you know, smoking a joint at a park and got locked up. Like there is a portion of those who were just doing and, that. And then we start looking at the likelihood of you being uh, black and brown and then being arrested for, convicted for uh, marijuana offenses. Just like higher, higher incidence. Yeah, higher incidence. Much higher incidence. So that, that's what I, where, I, where I, you know, maybe where I draw the line, which is I just feel like it has such an impact in this community. And... Um, I feel like legalization of it could really help uh, yeah. address some of these issues. Right? So that's yeah, where I, I come from. I think, I think I agree with you by and large in, in this position. Uh, the macro difference that we have is I really do believe that mind-altering chemicals of any kind simply allow you to better mask what your issues actually are. And I believe that there's much better longer-term yeah. holistic solutions for those kind of things, be it faith, you know, counseling, a variety sure. of different things. And so yeah. I, I, way, I, I don't, agree with you I don't, on, I don't, that, on that statement, Charlie. I'm, you're not going to hear an argument from me on that. Yeah, because I think some, sometimes the starting point is like, you know, we're, we agree cannabis and all these drugs are here to stay. Mm-hmm. Let's try to minimize the damage. My point is always the hopeful, if not aspirational goal, which is like, yeah, but let's look at like the bigger picture here, right? We got a generation of people that is like in tremendous pain, kind of out of nowhere, right? Not out of nowhere. We've always had pain. Let me rephrase that. But the level of demand around pain management has never been this high, right? At the same time that we're living in a more autom- automated place where people have safer jobs every every day yeah. more and more. So, like, it kind of doesn't compute, right, that that's happening. So I like to look at those bigger issues and go, wait a minute, why is this happening? Because that's an important question to ask. And so yeah. I, don't want, I don't like starting from the point that, like, well, we just have drugs. Let's try to minimize it. Like, but, I, but with what you said, I think I agree with most of what you said. Um, I'm not as libertarian as you are on the kind of, like, <laughs> the, the, the drug side of it. I just am not because, because yeah. I also know the impact that it has around other people, right? Yeah, Look, right. even me with nicotine, right? I'm a nicotine addict both recovering and practicing many different times in my, in my life. Really? And I can nicotine? tell you— Oh yeah, nicotine. Of course, man. I, I did. Never seen I did. You smoke a, uh, like a cigarette. 
No, it's not. You know, that's here's an, another part of the thing about the you know our amazing innovation is just like you have you know alcohol that looks like club soda now it doesn't even taste like booze you just get the alcohol directly in it now you've got a whole host of nicotine products that deliver nicotine and it's like gum it's like a pouch that makes your breast smell good but you get a nice I've shot never of nicotine seen you use a nicotine product and really? that just that you is use them now Charlie for the, I do I use them now what and but Dude, I've, I've, I've I'm shocked I've had. But but for 10 years, Jesus, I mean, I've gone 10, 12 years without using, but I started to use nicotine when I was in, like, college, and oh, it, was, it was mostly smokeless tobacco. It was, like the, it was like, you know, the dip. So you put, like, a dip in your mouth, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. But now the, the innovation has been extraordinary That's because there's so crazy. much money to yeah. be made, right? And so what, but, but my point on this is that nicotine, right, especially when you have this, like, harmless little pouch that sits in your mouth right, and you don't even right. have to spit – yeah. But what it does is it affects relationships too. My wife and I have a different relationship. Like she's not pissed at me twenty four seven now, but she's not happy that I do this. And it's like <laughs> it's not twenty four seven. I mean, which is it's not like I'm. <laughs> my point is, it's not like I'm like on heroin. You know what I mean? Right, and trying right, to cook right, or something. Right, but right. but nevertheless, she's like, I don't want to see those little pockets anywhere. And it's like I'm very disappointed in you. And it impacts our relationship. And I'm disappointed yeah, in myself, yeah. right? right? So there's not just the, the 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 reason I'm less libertarian than you is because. Because the libertarian view is like it's about you, and as long as you don't like get into anybody else's way, I think yeah. we're a community, and I think what we yeah. do impacts other people. And so, uh, all I'm yeah. saying is that that's why I don't like to seed or start the argument at that point. But nevertheless, based on what we discussed, I think yeah. we're on can, a page. Can I make my uh, my case as to what I would love to see based on this Brittany Griner uh, situation? I have an idea: the Russian WNBA. That's it. We're done. Let's go. Well, th- that's already that's what that's what she plays in. So that's the reason why she was out there to begin with. But no, uh, I think, look, for me, what I would love to see, all this attention that she's getting, for yeah. good, very good reason, to bring her home and this deal making this happen, I would love to see that same level of energy to push our, not just administration, but our political system to address two things. To address legalization of marijuana at a federal level. And then second, to look at criminal justice reform so how do we, like, what is the, the counter of that, not just legalization, but how do we deal with all the folks that have been impacted by this? For those that are not in the category that we described, that have a thousand different things, a rap sheet, and this happened to be one of them. I'm not talking about those people. Some people that really have been impacted by the system so that they are not paying for the consequences of this inconsistent policy that we have across our nation for decades to come. So what, I think with so, those two things, I will, I'll be very excited. Okay, I... I, I I think I could get behind those things, but I, I would ask you, how, how do you feel about the First Step Act, the one that Trump passed about criminal reform? Yeah, I was just, uh, you know, funny, I was just about to say it, and to, and to just because I never give him any, any credit for anything. Uh, one of the things that I think he should get credit for is is some of the, the criminal reform work that, that uh, the Trump administration actually did. And, and, to, and credit to actually uh, Kim Kardashian, because she was a big, big uh, advocate of that. Um, and uh, not Don Lemon. Who was the other one? Uh, Van, Van Jones. Van right, Jones. As well, who was pretty involved with yeah. that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, credit to those guys. Like, they did a lot. And to Trump for taking, you know, he didn't, he didn't have to do any of that stuff. So I think that is an area where I would give him lots of credit for being proactive about wanting to address some of the, the, show, uh, the, um, the criminal justice issues that we've had historically in this country. So I think those are great sort of steps in that direction. Um, and it, it is one that he, I, think, I don't think he gets much credit, from, especially from the left side of the equation. Yeah. Uh, which I think he should. Cool. Okay. Well, let's leave that one there. Uh, and let's, cool. uh, there's obviously, it's a, it's a deep topic, but I'm glad we had the discussion. And hopefully, uh, Brittany Griner gets home soon. And, um, you know, we can take a look at some of the issues that you uh, articulated as well. Mm-hmm. All right. You ready to play Courage Cringe for the week? Yes. All right. Yes. Let's do it. I went last week first. Your turn. Oh, damn. Why are you gonna? All you right. want me to well, go again? I, I can buy you no, some no, time. I got, it, I got it. I got it. All right. All right. All right. I got it. My courage of the week. My courage of the week is in the on the politics side. By the way, I'm going all courage recently. So I'm, I, I love like it. I'm being too positive. I no, it's good. You're my counterpoint because I'm a, I'm a cringe again this get the week. Wrong impression of me. <laughs> <laughs> so my courage of the week is actually what just happened in Kansas. Mm. So Kansas just uh, rejected an amendment. Uh, that would have that basically stated there will be no constitutional right to an abortion in the state. So it's interesting. The vote was 59% to 
Um, and it's an interesting, uh, obviously it's a battle, it's a, that was just to give everyone context, this is all in response to the Supreme Court decision uh, that just recently happened, it would overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, and in Kansas, it was in this election that just happened on, I guess yesterday, right, on Tuesday, uh, it was in the ballot of whether or not to remove um, uh, the protection for, for abortion at the constitutional level, because now it becomes a state-level a state level issue. And that's happened in a lot of different places where it's being debated. And when removed from that constitutional protection at a state level, then in many cases, a lot of these states, especially the more conservative ones, are immediately kind of putting in complete bans or almost entire, either complete or almost complete bans on abortion. And it was really interesting to see this dynamic play out in a state that is, I think, by most people's measure, fairly conservative. It, it is not, I don't think I will put it in the category, most people won't put it in the category of being really like a purple state, much more conservative. Um, but yet, this was something that w- that was upheld. Uh, that was upheld there. So I thought that was that was really interesting. And I think for that fight of you know choice versus this maybe goes back to the libertarian point that you were saying. <laughs> I'm definitely more, more in, in that camp. I think it's um, I don't know what how much you can project from this from this going forward. But it does I think it does speak to how the country is very divided on this issue. Um, and this is one of my concerns with the decision that the Supreme Court made is I don't think it reflects the interests of the people. So I'm very curious to see how this looks going forward as more of these ba- more of these issues come up for ballot, whether or not the country will respond in this kind of similar manner and to what degree, right? Especially in those states that looking at outside looking in are, are pretty conservative and you would have thought that immediately they will go the other direction to be mm-hmm. uh, very pro-life. So. How do you how, how do you feel about just the states being able to make the call though? Forget about the case. Like, do it's, you think that's tricky, the right man, place because, for it to be? Yeah, it, it's tricky because we were having this conversation the other day, right? In terms of how we will solve for some of the political di- divisiveness that happens in the country, and I think part of the problem that we have is because of the current political system that we have, many votes just don't really count, right? Now, the thing we were talking about it from a presidential standpoint, right, as it relates to electoral college. Right. But when you think about it at a state level, the challenge that you have at a state level is that there is so much um, gerrymandering in terms of the, the actual districts that in many cases you end up having voices kind of get shut down, all get bucket together in one specific district, whether it's Democrat or, or, or Republican. And it, and it means that at the end result, you don't get a fair representation of what the population of the individual state actually believes. So that's a little bit of my challenge when you think about these um, all being left at a state level is that we have a system that historically has allowed, once a political party is in place, for them to continue to change the rules, to allow them to stay in place, and therefore to force issues that support their agenda much more Mm. that may or may Mm. not reflect the true will of the people. Even Texas, for that matter, I, I think it will be a potentially different outcome if in every state you had just straight, like, population voting, not by not, that you couldn't you know gerrymander by by districts uh, on open issues like this. What the actual result would be? Mm. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, interesting. Okay, that's a good one. I'm 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 gonna watch your bus coming down the street, and I'm not gonna get on that one. But uh, <laughs> you have to just keep on going. Real quick. Just keep on going. I'll wait for the next one. Uh, you know, because well, uh, that's one that I can't get. Charlie. I can't get. I don't want to ruin our streak. But uh, I appreciate and respect your courage for the state of Kansas in that regard, even though I completely disagree with everything behind it. Okay, so uh, Mike, uh, mine is significantly more pedestrian, so you're going to make me look bad uh-huh. because I've actually chosen to work to to uh, have my cringe of this week. I'm being consistent as well with two cringes in a row. Be um, our friend Beyonce. Like three cringes in a row. You you've been all cringe this entire so much, time. I don't you know what it is? Had a it's courage yet. Uh, it's, I'm lazy. It's easier to find a cringe with the headlines that we have. That's what it is. I'll look for a courage next week, okay? I'll commit okay. to you that. So uh, Beyonce, I don't know if you caught this yesterday. Um, <laughs> yeah, <I> did. <laughs> you did, okay. So Beyonce, uh, uh, it, taking a page out of Lizzo's book, we actually talked about it on the show, good, just good yesterday. to that whole crew right there. <laughs> just yesterday, changed the lyrics uh, in one of her songs from a brand new album that got dropped on the 29th of July, so just days ago, mm-hmm. after getting a ton of outcry for a ableist slur, which is now how, the, you know, how it's always positioned. Uh, and it's in fact the same slur. The same one. Yeah, I, th- I, thought same... I, I thought it was like the same story, but like no, 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 it's, the, just the it's same literally the same one. And uh, so, you know, here's the thing with this. So I'm a cringe on this, but 
uh, you know, on one level, obviously, this is art or in the artistic domain. We can debate on whether or not it's art, but it's in the artistic domain. She is the creator of that art. She has a right to change it immediately before she publishes. She can wait 10 years and do that. In fact, there's been a lot of musicians who, as they age and change in perspectives and values, will go back and you know, change things entirely, right? There's people who don't like to have, they don't play the songs live because they don't represent, you know. So all that stuff happens, even if you do it upon reflection. All good, right? So there's no problem with that. But, you know, there's a couple things that I think about, right, which is the the case I made before with the Lizzo thing, if we're going to drop the word spaz, and I'm going to say it because I have a point about that word in a second, but if we drop that word, I find it highly ironic slash moronic to not have any issue with the other extraordinary misogynistic, racist, et cetera, lyrics that are left in the music. So that's my one point is about consistency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing is that, you know, look, I've used, it has been a long time, maybe when I was in high school or college or something, the word was more popular then, even, you know, as a, as a word. But I've used that word spaz in the past. And it's always meant as a dig. There's no question about it. It's always, it's not something you say as a compliment, right? <laughs> Um, well, so so that's definitely true. But I have a but I have a problem. Uh-huh. Just you know, for the record, it's got a number of definitions. One of them is the pejorative that's used against people who have a disability, which is this you know it has the word spastic in the diagnosis of the of the disability. But it's also used as a as a reference to the word spasticity, which is just altered muscle performance, uncoordination. Yeah. Like you know, you throw a pass. This is when it would happen. It would happen in sports settings, right? So like you throw somebody a pass. And you know that kid who just, like, can't catch, right? You know what I mean? Like, you couldn't catch a cold? Like, you would catch because he's uncoordinated, not because he's whatever. So you would use this in a variety of terms. My problem with this is, is, is twofold. Number one is I don't like it when a group of, you know, loud folks can just determine that what used to have four definitions now only has one. And this is the one, and therefore you can never use that. That, that term. The second reason is the way that this was rolled out. The quote from Beyonce says, it's been brought to my attention, right, that there was a harmful word in my new song. Now, this was after she released it on the 29th. This is after all the Lizzo controversy, right? This is after all of that stuff. And it was, it just doesn't seem like it's a principled stance. It's, it feels like it's um, kind of virtue signaling, to, to, to be honest, right? It's, it seems like it's more about clout and money and profile and all those things because you would think that if this was something she principally believed, mm-hmm. she would have like known about it even before she wrote the song, A, and B, certainly since all the outcry about the Lizzo stuff about the exact same word. It just seems like she released it, a bunch of people complained, and she went back and you know s- suddenly learned. So there's yeah. a number of reasons why I mean, I'm just— Who knows when she recorded the song, too, though? you got to keep that in mind, right? Whenever she actually recorded the song— and, and frankly, even how involved, interested she was in what's happening with Lizzo. I mean, you guys can make an argument that they should be very aware of what's happening with other music yeah, artists. Yeah, but dude, but come on. She's Jesus, at a whole she, level. But she's know? got people. You're t- I don't care about her knowing. You're telling me nobody in her entire orbit like paid attention to any of this? Nobody looked at the album lyrics? I mean, there's well, tons of marketing. I, I, mean, no, I don't buy the, that. We've talked about this in the context of marketing agencies, brands. How much like really like terrible decisions that get through all these different layers? Yeah, between creative agency, media agency, client, like all these different people, right? And, and you're talking about being an artist, where especially an artist like her, where she has like say, right? She is the boss and everything. Like sure, maybe there's creative director in her, in her in her circle that feel empowered enough to be able to make that kind of pushback on her in any way whatsoever. Um, it's possible. It is, I think to your point, it is like her responding to the audience, to what she thinks the audience wants, respects, what they're going to like appreciate about her. And this move, does it get her closer to her audience or further away? I think for her audience, probably is a great move. I don't know how many people, I mean, because let's be honest, you and I, well, we probably weren't going to buy Beyonce music anyway or mm-hmm. go to a Beyonce concert. So if it bothers us, one way that doesn't really matter. Do I think it actually helps? With her fan base, probably I would, I would think so, and that's fine. But then it, that's you called know? marketing. That's not called art, right? So that, but that you, is marketing. If, but, but that is art too, man. I mean, especially mm. music is all marketing, dude. Like that's yeah. just part of it. Yeah, that's part of it. I guess so. But anyway, for those reasons, I'm a cringe. On um, that's my cringe for this week. I did I see that. And I was cracking up when I saw it. I'm like, oh man, these. <laughs> 
Another See, one. I'm, ke- I'm keeping it light. You hit me with this like huge, uh, congressional, weighty, up. pro-life thing, and then Correct I hit you up, with Beyonce. The Beyonce. Um, good for her. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So uh, good, next good week, luck. next week we're back in person. We're back. Possibly. In person. Is it possible we have a show in person? We, yeah, for sure. I don't know why you say it like that. Like you're trying to make it sound like. Actually, let me check. <laughs> Am I, are we actually in person? <laughs> Yeah. Well, hopefully it sounds that way to the audience, but uh, but we're not. And um, obviously I'm joking because you're doing good work wherever you go. But um, anything else, Jesus? No, that's it. All right, my friends. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. Please remember to always strive to live a life unsiloed. We'll see you again next week. Did, did this thing break up halfway through or nothing? One of those where we stop recording? Yeah, no, last time it, it gave me an error. It was- yeah, yeah, no, it, it looks right. It- you might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.